0: So yes, I'm usually back in the back there. Uh, I'm the kids ministry director, so I'm usually with the big kids and we're having fun and loving Jesus. And, but now I'm here to be the fabulous people today. <laughs> so I'm going to take a minute and take it all in. So first, of all, I want to I thank the Holy Spirit for being here this morning and uh, pray us into the sermon, okay? So you can bow our heads with me. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your spirit that's already in this place. Uh, Father, I pray you would calm my nerves. That you would just speak through me. That you would touch someone's life today, and let us walk out of this place with some new ideas and some new thoughts about how you've made us, how we can be more devoted to you, and what we can do in this life. So thank you so much for today. Give us a great day in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. So like I said, we're continuing our summer series. I'm going to get to talk about First Peter. So, Darren, thanks so much for asking me to speak, but i got to admit, when you asked me to speak, I said, great, yeah, I'd love to talk in front of adults, and that's awesome. And he goes, great, you're working on 1 Peter 2. I said, awesome. I can't say I've read through all of 1 Peter 2 before, but I've heard snippets of it. Certain phrases are really common. And so, my, my wife can attest to this. When I get something that is really ingrained in me, I do a deep dive. I get everything I can get. I get all my everything I can get podcasts, sermons. I want to learn everything I can. And so that's what I did. I jumped into the life of Peter and who he was, where he came from, and then what we get in 1 Peter 2. So, yeah, so in, in college, I loved my sports med classes. And so I studied hours upon hours of injuries, healing, how to take care of people, just as much as I could get my hands on. In Colorado, I was a firefighter, an EMT, and I've, I've always been, even when I was like five, I've got pictures of me in bunker gear of how fire's made, how to control it, how to take care of it, how to, what makes it, so I could read everything I could read. Give me more, give me everything. My favorite time period in US history is the, is the Civil War. It's, it's a path to freedom for people, and I can't tell you how many times I've watched the Ken Burns documentary, of the Civil War, about both sides and reading more about it and learning more about it. Recently, when we started our farm, my wife and I taught you own a chicken farm, and it was all about chicken coops. <laughs> <laughs> so how other people did it, good ways to build them, structures to use, how many they could hold, the whole nine. Like, just give me more, whatever I could read. So that's what I did for Peter's life. So we're going to go a little... As as a, as a teacher, I'm going to go a little. You have a little, little history, so be pre- be prepared. There will be some audience participation, so don't fall asleep. I'll try to make it cool. So his original name was Simon. Okay, he was a fisherman, and so I'm going to use that name on purpose to start out this morning, and I'll I'll tell you why in a little bit. So his name is Simon. He's a common man. He was strong. My buddy HT talks about his hands that we've talked about. They're rough. He did hard work. He was out in the sun. He was a, he was a sailor. He knew the winds. He knew the sea and how to navigate them. So I, I got to say that he was a strong guy. And I think he kind of, I think he took that to himself, that he was a strong person. Um, and so he spoke in common language. And he was one of the millions of Jews that were in under Roman, Roman, Roman rule. But after a single interaction with Jesus, he dropped his nets and followed. One one time. And so Simon witnessed some incredible things while he followed Jesus for those three years. Life-changing, earth-shaking, prophecy-fulfilling, and also excruciatingly painful events when he followed Jesus. But as I read through the Gospels, that's where I started at the beginning. All I could think of with Peter at the time, was this. <laughs> that. <laughs> Simon just stopped talking. Now I'll explain why. In Luke 5, uh, we see Simon and his friends fishing. And they're getting skunked. They're not getting a thing. So Jesus comes along the waters and says, why don't you go out to deeper waters? Well, Peter chimes in with, but Master, we've been doing this all night, and we haven't caught a thing. Well, I can see Jesus with a little, go a little deeper. (laughs) He shrugs his shoulders, okay. And he goes out, and they catch so much they have to have for help, and they almost capsize. Amazing blessing, but first he had to pipe in with that. (laughs) In Matthew 14 tells the story of Jesus walking on the water. Okay, A man's walking on the water on a sea that he's used to. Peter's seen this ocean before. He he knows what it's about. And there's a guy walking on it. But then Simon comes up with a, if it's truly you, tell tell me to come out to you. Comes up with a test. Stop talking. Just take it in. Someone's walking on the water. But, Simon was the only one who got wet. That's right. That's right. In Matthew 17, Simon and two other disciples are handpicked by Jesus to walk up to the top of a mountain and get a vision of the future. They see Jesus in the way he's going to look in heaven, face uh, shine like the sun. His clothes are white, like light and lightning. Instead of standing there in that awesome presence, even when two pillars of the original church show up, Moses and Elijah, Be quiet, dude. I know what we'll do. We'll build two tabernacles, two shelters for you, Moses and Elijah. Elevating Moses and Elijah up to Jesus' level. And I could see the other disciples just doing, what? Take it off. Matthew 18. Simon comes to Jesus with a question and questions the Master, "How many times should I forgive someone who wrongs me? Up to seven times? As if there were a limit or a specific amount that we should forgive someone someone for doing something to us?" And Jesus lovingly rebukes him that no. 70 times 7, not as a specific number, but all the time. There's never a limit. In John 13, see, it just keeps going. Just, Just, dude, be quiet. John 13, Jesus prepares to wash the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. And the Messiah, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, God on foot takes the place of a servant. He grabs a basin of water. He grabs a towel and wraps around him and gets on his knees in front of his disciples with their grungy, nasty feet and ready to wash them and make them clean. And with the most captain, obvious statement, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? That's what he's doing. Duh. No, you'll never wash my feet. Just accept it, man. And Luke 22. This one kills me. Peter's denial of Christ. Jesus foretold it, that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Peter says, no, I'll never deny you, Lord. And he actually does it. And the worst part is Christ through his judgment, locks eyes with Peter. Simon. Locks eyes with Simon. And Simon goes out and weeps uncontrollably because he knows he did it. He says, I never knew him. That's not, my, that's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And last, in Acts 10, by now Jesus has gone up to heaven. He's given the great commission to his disciples and Simon now goes to a city, and he gets a vision from God of a sheet coming down with animals they can now eat that is now clean, that God's called clean. And God tells him, rise, kill, and eat. He responds with, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. He's still rebuking. He's still fighting the system that's coming down that Jesus gave him. And it wasn't until Acts 11... But, sorry, Acts 10. He goes to a Gentile's house, sees the Holy Spirit come upon the household, baptizes everybody that are Gentiles and leads them to Christ. Well, Peter was a Jew. Well, you don't associate with Gentiles. This was very out of place for him. But he took the Great Commission and ran with it. Yeah. And we don't see him truly come into his true self until Acts 11, when he recounts the story to other Jews in Jerusalem, when he comes back and tells the story. So in Acts 11, this is where I'm going to switch, and I'll tell you why. Growing up, one of my favorite ever superheroes is Superman. He's the best superhero. I will talk and discuss anybody with you. (laughs) But as a six-year-old kid watching the Superman films, I was enthralled that this guy was indestructible. He was strong. He could fly. But he never, at this point, revealed who he truly was. Until one point in Superman 2, he's with Lois Lane. He takes off his glasses. He stands up straight. He talks in his normal voice, and there is six foot four, two thirty, indestructible Superman. And me as a six-year-old kid is like, that's Superman. <laughs> Acts eleven is Peter's Superman story, and this is where I'm gonna change his name. Yeah. Yeah. He says, as I began to he's telling the story of what happened. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, the Gentiles, as he had come on us, the Jews, at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Yes, that is his Superman moment. He has shed his glasses. He's shed his impulsiveness. He shed his questioning. He's 100% Petros, the rock, that God's going to build his church on. Yes. We finally see it. He finally gets it. That's the true Peter. And this is the Peter we get to hear from today in his, in, his, in his book. He is 100% all in the devoted disciple to the mission that Jesus gave him. So now we're in 1 Peter, chapter 2. And I see four distinct sections of this chapter. First, verse 1 through 3. Peter's what? What are we to do as followers of Christ? It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, which is the desire to do evil, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. The first thing that struck out to me when when I started to read through the actual passage I was speaking on is those aren't suggestions. Those aren't questions. Yeah. Those aren't, could you do this? Would you mind if you did this? No, it's do it. Those are commands. They're coming from a man who dealt with it in his own life. He dealt with malice, he dealt with deceit. These things hold us back from growth in our walk with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Getting rid of them they bring a result that's beneficial to us. So he starts off really heavy. Like, it's, this, this chapter is full of wisdom, which is awesome to read. He continues, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested the Lord is good. Those of you who are parents who have ever seen a baby who is hungry, that's a sight to see, man. Like They they want that food and they want it right now. We should be that with Scripture and God. We want it and we want everything we can get. The second part, verses 4 through 10. This is Peter's who. Who are we? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Whew. That's good. <laughs> okay, show of hands. Here's your, here's your participation. Who's done construction or building of some kind? Good. Good. I got, got some friends here. What happens if your cuts aren't straight? Yeah, the groans along the way, you know what happens. If your corner isn't right, if your corner's not straight, if your cuts aren't straight, the rest of the building is off. That's what he's talking about. But thinking about a cornerstone, Washington Monument's got one. It's right in the, right in the middle. It's perfectly square, so the whole thing is squared. The stone had to go through a process to get there. Even before it arrived at the building site, it had to be a process at the quarry. Back in the Old Testament, you couldn't do work in the tabernacle area with hand tools. It had to be done outside then brought in. So, if it wasn't strong, it wasn't square and flat, then the rest of the building wouldn't be straight Level and it could collapse. First, it had to be harvested from the quarry. Usually, big slabs get cut off and then down to the ground. Then, it needs to be broken down to smaller chunks to an actual workable section. Next, it had to be selected from among their stones a master builder would go out there and I'll take that one. But it's not finished yet. It had to be worked on. It had to be cut and shaped. It had to be chipped and sheared and honed and smoothed all by the hands of a master. Only after this process was completed was it ready to be put in place to be built upon. And Peter continues in his, his, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's talking to Gentiles. We get it, too. All because of Christ, we get that mercy, too. Peter confirms that we as Gentiles, originally not God's chosen people, are now chosen. We're holy. We are held by God. And we receive the same mercy as the Jews had bringing us out of darkness and separation and light into his family. We're a part of his family now. But did you catch it? We have a job to do. We need to tell people about it. We need to tell people about how Christ died for us, taking our sin on himself and giving us access to eternity with him. A good place to start is just to use his name in normal conversation. This, This has worked in my life. I was hesitant to say the name of Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit in normal conversation with whoever I met. I kind of didn't want to, that was too personal. That was my faith, that was, that was my thing. But it's easier as you do it. So now it's, normal, it's a normal vernacular for me. You know what, we're here, God brought us here. We have our property, God opened the door. Amen. We have an awesome church, God brought us here too. Amen. Yeah, y'all are awesome, I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Third part, chapter eleven or verse eleven through twenty. This is Peter's how. I know it's hard. <laughs> Just so you know, I totally needed that right there. That was great. I love when babies are in here. Uh, Peter's how. How are we to live in this world? This passage is super dense, so I'm going to go through a little slower. Let the statement sink in, okay? And so this is tough to swallow, even when it refers to positions, people in positions of authority. So, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Again, not a suggestion. We're supposed to do that. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Be an example to those around you. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. They don't know about it. But through your good works, they see it. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? That's just punishment. There's consequences for actions we make. But if you suffer for doing good, and endure it, this is commendable before God. I'll extend this to coaches, to teachers, tag students, <laughs> your bosses, my my harsh lead pastor here. <laughs> I submit to whatever Darren says. He is put in authority for a reason. I will yield to his. His, his better idea. <laughs> so I told him I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention him up here, but I'm, I, I got to be a doting dad up here about my son, Micah. Love him. <laughs> We're very proud of him. He's able to play on some traveling baseball teams for the summer. Well, he's, in, he's encountering other types of coaches. Yeah. Yeah. And ooh, this one got my blood boiling. One single interaction, the coach benched him for the entire game. Now, yes, he's my son. My son can play. My son can play baseball. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And the coach benched him after one little instance. One little weird interaction It happened. And I'm at home while my wife, time's out on the trip. And she's telling me about this. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do that to my kid. <laughs> it's my son. But... You didn't quit. You didn't complain. You were a good teammate, and you kept playing your game. I'm really proud of you for that. Can I stop? <laughs> Last part, verse 21 through 25. Peter takes his whole section of his book and puts a nice bow on it. This is Peter's why. Why should we live like this? To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds we've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. One translation says guardian of your souls. That's awesome. That's so awesome. He's the one we emulate. He's our example because he first did it for us. He did it first. Peter takes this whole thing and points it right back to his master, the one that he followed. There's no better example to follow in life. He encountered it all and he bore it all with such grace and love for us. So in closing this morning, I have a couple challenges for you. Something you can maybe take home with you and think about throughout the week as you, as you go on. Number one. you pray a dangerous prayer, a prayer for God to open your heart and your eyes to any kind of malice or deceit, hypocrisy or envy or slander of any kind. I call it dangerous because the devil doesn't want you to utter those words. He wants that junk in your life and he wants you blind to it. But as the Spirit reveals it to you, <clears throat> it can be brought into the light and worked on. Ask Him to reveal it to you. But expect pushback. Expect distractions. Expect something else to come into your mind and not pray that prayer. That's why it's dangerous. It's so powerful. And number two, <clears throat> you agree with me today to put yourselves in the hands of the master to be selected and shaped chipped and sheared honed and smooth so that you can be used by the master to build his church wherever you may go